The battle between righteousness and worldliness has become quite evident in our day. The moral standards of Scripture are ignored or seen as outdated at the very best, and homophobic, xenophobic, prejudiced, oppressive, or promoting hate at, on the other end of the spectrum. And those who uphold the teachings of the Scriptures are sometimes seen as enemies. And this, this really shouldn't surprise us, because Matthew 10 and verse 22 tells us this. These are the words of Jesus. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 10, 22. And when asked about the end times, listen to the words of Jesus uh, in, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 to 12. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. You can't read these words of Jesus and begin to wonder if we are not in those birth pains that Jesus prophesied. Scripture teaches us that things will get far worse before the coming of, of the Lord. And, and we are in the midst of a great spiritual battle, and the forces of evil are allying themselves against the kingdom of God and His purpose. And we are seeing growing evidence of this in our day. And as believers, we need to be prepared to face this great enemy. And in this message, I want just to take a moment to consider, first of all, the nature of this enemy and the nature of the weapons that we must use to conquer this enemy. Writing to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul has this to say. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul tells us that the battle that we must face is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities 
against cosmic powers of darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly paces. Now, these forces are, are very powerful forces indeed. We're dealing with rulers and authorities who have allied themselves with an ungodly mindset. They've chosen a path that is contrary to the moral principles of Scripture. And as we look at the decisions that are being made in our government and the, and the, the philosophies of our day, we see this so clearly. These rulers and authorities are not led by the Spirit of God, but by ungodly philosophies of this world. Scripture tells us that these rulers and authorities stand against the Lord and His purpose, and those who remain faithful to God will find themselves becoming the target. These rulers and authorities are the most powerful leaders on this earth. They promote an ungodly agenda that is inspired by Satan himself, and those who stand against them must prepare to suffer persecution and opposition. And Scripture seems to teach that this will become increasingly so as the days approach when Jesus Christ will return. And so we stand against rulers and authorities. But notice that Paul goes on to tell the Ephesians that they wage war also against cosmic powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. These are powerful inhuman forces. They are invisible to our eyes. These cosmic powers have infiltrated our schools, our government, our entertainment, and yes, even our churches. They have lulled many to sleep. They have led many astray. Evil, abuse, oppression, hatred, addiction of all kinds find their source in these dark powers. They have led nations to war and encouraged the slaughter of innocent victims. They have broken families and tempted many to wander from righteousness. These cosmic powers and spiritual forces are demonic in nature. They are openly rebellious against the holy God in heaven and have chosen a path of evil. They tempted Eve in the garden, caused Cain to murder his brother, tempted Solomon with wealth, murdered the entire family of Job and left him suffering on an ash heap, tempted David to adultery and murder, and hung the Lord Jesus Christ on a cross. These are the powers and forces that sought to annihilate the Jewish nation in the days of Esther, and yes, even in World War II, these Powers and forces have no limit to their evil and murderous intent. Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Here the apostle describes the devil like a roaring lion prowling about, seeking someone to devour. 
He looks behind every bush, awaiting a prey, and when you least it expect when you least expect it, he jumps out and pounces on the victim. The devil was there in the Garden of Eden, waiting for the right moment to tempt Eve. He he showed up before God, asking permission to break Job. He followed Jesus in the wilderness, tempting him to turn from the purpose of his father. He followed the disciples of Jesus, trying to sift Peter like wheat. He filled Judas as one of Jesus' disciples and inspired him to betray his Lord. You can hear his voice in the crowd as they cried out, crucify him, crucify him at the trial of Jesus. He stood at the foot of the cross, mocking our Savior. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross, he cries out. And the Bible tells us that the day is approaching when Christ shall return. And before that time, Satan will inspire great leaders to persecute and even kill those who belong to the Lord Jesus. And all who stand for Christ must stand against him. Writing in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah has this to say about the human heart. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The human heart, says Jeremiah, is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. And the word desperately carries with it the idea of the heart being incurable. The heart, in fact, according to Jeremiah, is so sick it cannot be be cured. The sinful heart of mankind has been the source of great evil and great temptation. What evil has this human heart not imagined? Prejudice, hatred, envy, lust, all conceived in the human heart. And if unrestrained, where would it lead us? We battle as believers against rulers and forces allied with ungodliness. We Cosmic forces of, of powers, cosmic powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, the devil prowling like a lion, seeking whom he may devour, a heart that is incurably sick and and deceitful above all things. Who among us can truly believe that, that a good education will keep us, give us victory over these forces? Do we really believe that we can clench our fists and say, come on, I'll take you on? The devil and his legions of demons are allied against us and stand against you and me. An unceasing cloud of arrows are directed daily towards me. How can I possibly overcome such odds? Is my human strength sufficient to fight Satan's legions? Is my fleshly wisdom sufficient to convince him to back off? Now, some years ago, I heard a message on Jesus' comments in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 to 30, where Jesus says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. 
And as that preacher preached that day, he went on to ask his listeners a very important question. He says this, how many body parts are you going to cut off before your thoughts and attitudes are holy? You see, you can gouge out your eye and still lust. You can cut off your hand and still covet. You can cut out your tongue and still think evil of your brother or sister. You can cut off every body part that is yours and still be a sinner. How can we face an enemy that we cannot see? How can we overcome an enemy that is bigger than us? Do we really believe that human strength, wisdom, discipline, and experience are sufficient to overcome these forces? Now, all of this brings us to what Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 4. Here the apostle writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, there are two things we need to see here. First, notice what he tells the the Corinthians in in verse 3. We are not waging war according to the flesh. The battle we wage is not done in, in fleshly wisdom or fleshly strength. We cannot stand against these enemies that are far bigger than us. What gun can shoot down the cosmic forces of darkness? What military can stand against spiritual forces in heavenly places? What pill can you take to make a sinful soul right with God? Is there a medical procedure to to cure the sinful heart? If we want to stand up against these spiritual forces and, and that have allied against us, the powers of human wisdom and strength are insufficient. We will surely fail if we attempt to conquer these enemies or do battle with these enemies in the flesh. Now, Paul doesn't leave us there. He goes on in verse 4 to tell us, For the weapons of our warfare have divine power to destroy strongholds. We don't fight according to the flesh, but in divine power. While the flesh will not overcome these foes, the divine power of God that has been given to us will destroy their strongholds. Now, there's a story in Second Chronicles chapter 20 about King Jehoshaphat, who came under attack by the Moabites and the Ammonites. And the sheer number of soldiers allied against him caused Jehoshaphat great, great fear. And he knew he was no match for them. And knowing that he couldn't defeat his foe himself, the king went to the Lord and he cries out to God. And the Lord heard his prayer and answered him by sending a prophet by the name of Jehaziel, who who says this in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15 to 17. Listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours. 
like gods. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the edge of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Now notice what Jehaziel told the people of that day. First, the battle is not yours but God's. The people of God did not need to take on this battle. In fact, they could not because it was too big for them. The battle belonged to the Lord. How many battles do we take on that are not ours to fight? The Lord will fight for you, says Jehaziel. Second, notice how in verse 16, he challenges them, go down tomorrow, go down against them. Now, while the battle was not theirs to fight, God's people were to be present. They were to stand before the enemy. They were not to run away from this. All too often, we, in the midst of the battle, we look at it and we see it from our, our fleshly eyes and, and we turn and run in absolute fear and terror. But God challenges the people of Jehoshaphat's day not to run away, but to stand in that battle, to stand there before the enemy, to face that enemy. And notice in verse 17, the other thing he tells them, stand firm and hold your position. Verse 17, you will not need to fight this battle, but stand firm and hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. The people were to face the enemy, but not to fight. Their role was to stand firm and hold their position. The Lord would do the fighting and the saving. They were to be faithful obedient and watch for him and wait for him. Holding a position is not an easy thing. It requires faith in the one who fights for us. It requires trusting him. There will be times we, we wonder what he's doing, but God will fight for us. But we need to stand firm and hold our position and wait in confidence and trust. And notice finally in this passage, the words of Jehaziel in verse 17, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. There can be no greater comfort than this. The Lord will be with you. This makes all the difference in the world. The battle belongs to the Lord. He is fighting for us. He will be with us as we stand firm and wait in confidence and trust. Trust in him. Stand firm. The battle is his to fight. The enemy is great, bigger than us. But the battle is not ours to fight. It is one. It is the battle that God fights on our behalf. He simply calls us to stand firm and wait and watch for his salvation. Now, isn't this the amazing thing about the Christian life? 
Isn't this what the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about? When we were helpless to save ourselves, God sent his son to save us. Sin had conquered us, and we were being held in its grip. The enemy around us was too big for us. There was no cause for dismay, however, because the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. He stood in our defense against a foe that was too big for us to face. And all he asks of us is to stand firm and hold our position and see his salvation. And as we step out in obedience, we watch him stand trial before the religious officials of his day as he fights for us. We see him condemned to death. We, we look on in horror as they beat him and put a crown of thorns on his head. We hear the mocking words. We, we watch them spit on him in disrespect. We, we hear the dull thud of the hammer forcing the nails through, through skin and bone. We, we gaze in wonder as they lift him up half naked for all to see and we watch the blood and water flow down after the soldier thrusts his spear into his side. And we wonder where all this is going to, to end as we stand trying to be firm and trying to be steadfast. But as we stand firm and as we hold our position, within three days we hear the news. The stone has been rolled away. The body of our valiant warrior is no longer in the grave. The human the impossible has happened. He has risen and he has conquered the grave. That victory is for us. He has conquered what we could never conquer. The battle is his and he alone could fight it. He alone was has overcome and he alone was only one able to overcome and we reap the fruit of his victory. What begins as a work of God on our behalf, a battle that is fought for us must continue in this way. The battle is the Lord's. He will fight for us. Our role is to stand firm, hold our position, and see the salvation of the Lord. Mm-hmm. 